Hey, it's Alexander J, and welcome back to the Week 5 recap of the NBA here on the Mojo Sports Network. I'm Alexander J from Daily NBA with Alexander J. Joining me out of Perth, it's Yuri Bilsic. How are you today, Yuri? Great, Alex, and another week rolls by, and it's just so much to capture, including last night's Cracker Jack Knicks Heat game, and yeah, may just be all the way back to the 1990s eh, with their long-time rivalry and what the Knicks were able to accomplish yesterday because, by goodness me, they were completely in the mire at one point. I think they were down 83-62 and all hope looked lost. But in today's NBA, which has been for the last six, seven years, a 21-point lead isn't safe. Look, we're talking about that Knicks team because we've got the international correspondent over in New York, Tom. How are you, mate? Yes, no, uh, live from New York. It's Saturday night if, uh, for our, our listeners who watch SNL. Um, no, I'm good. I'm good. I uh, cannot complain and yeah, can't wait to talk about some of the games I've been to in the past week. If you sound a little tired, I think it's because it's like 11.40 over in, in New York at the moment, mate. So we'll cut you some slack if you confuse your Jason Tatum's with your Jalen Browns. Uh, just a really brief overview before we get into all these stats, the stories, the players, the in-season tournament updates from week five in the association. Most teams have now played 15, 16, 17-ish games across the league. There's currently six teams with 11 or more wins. And three of those are teams we might have expected at the top of the season. You know, Milwaukee are 11 and 5 in the East. Philadelphia are 11 and 5 in the East. Boston, uh, really strong opening stands. And they're 12 and 4 in the East. There is three teams I did not expect to be at this level in the league at the moment. One of them is the Orlando Magic, who are on a six-game win streak at 11 and 5. Uh, we'll talk about them. And then in the Western Conference, Minnesota at the top of the table, uh, 11 and 4, and the OKC Thunder, 11 and 5. Uh, Tom, I'll throw to you. What interests you from what you've seen in the league this week? It's definitely, definitely the Magic are up there, but, uh, you know, I, I, I was out doing my Black Friday shopping yesterday, so I didn't only get to see the second half of Magic Celtics, but they just look far beyond their age uh, and their experience. And, you know, the Celtics were up by 12 and at no point did it actually feel like a 12-point lead. They came back, they made shots. You know, the, the Wagner Wagner brothers, you know, did their thing, especially uh, Mo, who we cut a couple of years ago. 27, yeah, what the hell? Yeah, 27. I, I think his average against us since we cut him is like 24 points or something. His average against everyone else is, is about half that. Um, and, you know, we just collapsed like we have been recently, but they took over and they were much more physical and, and just played harder and looked like they wanted to win. And at this, this stage, you have to say they were looking like genuine threats for the playoff and it's exciting. You know, it was a bit of a, a bit of a downer note at the end of last season when they didn't get Wemby in the draft, but, uh, is looking good, you know. Their youth is really showing, and you know, while Black didn't look great yesterday and got benched in the second half, he's shown signs, and I'm excited for what, what's to come out of Orlando. Yeah, Yuri, I know you wanted to talk about Orlando as well. I um, didn't watch a game of them this week, but at the end of last week, I thought, okay, good suffering, like suffocating defense, interesting team. If Bankera and Franz Wagner are both playing well, like they're quite a large team, um, we know they lack some shooting. What are your thoughts on Orlando and the week they've had? I think it's been a tremendous week thus far, Alex, and Tom absolutely nailed all facets on what Orlando have been doing tremendously well this season. And it really goes to probably the second half of last season, right, where they had that terrible 5-20 and 20 start. They were able to finish, I think, 29-28 and 28 the rest of the season. And it sort of builds a precedent for 
what they want to be as a ball club because it's been a very long time since the Orlando Magic team. We have to go back to the Dwight Howard era where they were supremely good. They were making the NBA Finals in 09, made the conference finals the following year in 2010, lost to the Boston Celtics in six games. And that's really the last time where they had any sort of substantial success as a franchise. And maybe I'm going back to the 1990s, of course, with Penny and Shaq when they made the NBA Finals back in 1995. I think the way Jamal Mosley has structured the team as well. And they're not an elite three-point shooting team. They don't take a bunch of threes. We harped on a little bit last week too, Alex. It's all about second-chance opportunities, offensive rebounds and points in the paint. And that's where they do most of their damage. And they did it to Boston only yesterday too and held them to just 96 points, which pretty sure is a season low for the Celtics. So anytime you're restricting Boston under, what, 122 points to average a game, it's a truly tremendous effort. And they've really... They've got guys that are very similar in the way to, I think, the Bucks when they first started to make a little bit of a rise, when Jay Kidd implemented his own defensive philosophies as well in that 2014-15 season, and they made the jump. And you think of guys on their starting five there, you bring Markel Fultz back, pretty sure he's injured at this stage. Jalen Suggs, who's a tremendous on-ball defender as well and provides such tremendous outlet passes whenever Orlando's in the backcourt and quickly get up in one end in a second or two. And you have, of course, with Franz Wagner, who can play the point forward role and an excellent distributor. You have, well, Wendell Carter's been out for the last, I think, couple of months or so with that fractured finger, and I think he's still another week away. But Gorga Bataze as well. Yeah, exactly. This, just, yeah. I'll pause very quickly because Wendell Carter Jr. in the starting center spot, underrated through the end of last year and the start of this year. But Gogo Batazzi came out of nowhere for me. Like, we're all NBA sickos who like to know the 11th, 12th guys on the bench. He's been playing very, very good for Orlando. I wanted to just briefly mention the four wins they've had since we talked last. So right prior to when we met last, they had the two back-to-back victories against the Bulls. They've had four impressive wins since then, a 128 to 116 win against the Pacers, who can put 140, 150 on any team. They backed it up against the uh, Toronto Raptors, who have been hot and cold. But, you know, if you get a nice night from Scotty and Pascal, that was a 20-point victory, 126 to 107. Then they beat the defending champions, the Denver Nuggets, 124-119. The Nuggets made it a little bit closer at the end. And then the victory over the Celtics yesterday by almost 20 points, 18 or something. This is a team that's shot out of nowhere. Do both of you guys think this is a a sustainable run? They've got the Hornets, the Wizards twice, and then the Nets and the Cavs as their next five. Yeah, definitely think so, Alex. And I think the Cavs have sort of been a little bit line ball still. lost to the Lakers today, so they're... 8-8 Eight and eight on the season, and the Nets as well. They had a very good win over the Miami Heat, of course, with our Jimmy Butler and pretty sure Bam Adebayo, who oh, pretty sure Bam didn't play as well today against the Nets on the back-to-back. So I think as well, and also the Wizards, well, the Wizards have been struggling, of course. They should be able to rack up those wins right there and be situated maybe at 13-5 and five at that stage, 14-6, and six, which would be a tremendous start, right, considering I think – at the start of this season, probably had them winning about 38 to 41 games, which is always a realistic expectation anyway for the ball club. But I think what they've been able to accomplish right away and really shock some teams and really, as we've touched on, about a defensive identity and really sticking to that first whenever shots aren't falling, they're able to rely upon their defense. And it's worked in spades thus far. And I think it's a big thing too, especially with young teams. And getting off to quick starts is always a good thing, but then tiring it out and completely sort of capitulating as well because they saw that similar to Orlando, like 2017-18, and it probably wasn't 
a great side back then. Although, of course, they had Aaron Gordon, Nikola Vucevic, Aaron, Evan Fournier, and I think DJ Augustine was their starting point guard. They started about six and two, and unfortunately, completely fell off a cliff. But this team's far more different. They've got a lot more sort of offensive punch off the bench as well when they need it. And it's a whole compliment that they've got. And I think it's going to really hold them extremely well, whether they are struggling or not, because they can always bank on one particular area of their game to hold them well. I can transition back to the Celtics, Tom, for you to talk about the Seas. Uh, the Magic do play you twice in three days in three weeks' time. So that would be my yardstick to see if they can uh, get another victory over the lead, excuse me, the league-leading Boston Celtics. I bet that feels nice to hear. Tell us about your week over in the States and the Celtics and what's interested you, Tom? Yes, no, I, I, I do promise that uh, once I'm back in about a week and a half, the Celtics talk will uh, dwindle a little bit and I'll be able to watch a bit more of the league. But uh, for the moment, I have been following them around a bit. Um, it was a couple of weeks ago now, and you put, might have covered it last week. I do, forgi- do forgive me. I, I didn't. I wasn't able to listen to last week's show. But, um, yeah, the Philly, the game in Philly, that was incredibly satisfying to watch them all leave as Tatum hit a dagger three. I, I won't lie about that. I didn't rub it in, though. It was, did, didn't feel like... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I felt like making it back to my hotel room that night. But um, then, yeah, last week the the Bucks game. I, I you know, as you saw some of the videos and photos I sent to the group chat, I, I managed to secure myself some a really great seat and just watching basketball that close is an incredible experience. And it's not really something you can experience in many other sports because you know AFL rugby, it's not always right in front of you. Whereas in NBA, half the possessions are right in front of you. Where I was because I was just behind the basket and. The physicality of watching these guys just absolutely go, you know, tooth and nail at each other is insane. And, and watching Giannis just do his work in the post is next level. And seeing, you know, one of the best players of the last decade up close is insane. Um, and, you know, the Boston atmosphere that night, because obviously Thanksgiving was the day after, so it was a public holiday. It was insane. It was about 70%, I'd say, about what the finals atmosphere was like. And the crowd just loved it. And especially when Jalen Brown came out strong, you know, got off to like a 10-0 lead, the place went nuts. And then when Sandhauser was getting an alley-oop, that's when the Boston Garden really just let loose because when he's getting alley-oops, what else can they do? But the Celtics as a whole, though, is they're, they're, they're looking good and they're able to sort of score in multiple different ways. And Porzingis has really added the X factor, which looking back on it now, I think we were all being a bit dramatic with the Marcus Smart trade when we were quite sad that we saw him go. I mean, Porzingis has just brought way more than Smart possibly ever could to the team. And obviously, we didn't know we were getting a holiday at that stage. But still, Porzingis has been great. And he's actually accepted that third role, which I didn't expect him to do. And yeah, him and Brown are actually quite a good duo. I'd actually make the case they're probably a better duo than Tatum and Brown are together. Um, and so, look, we'll see. At the same time, though, the same problems from last year are still there. I mean, we literally had the game in the bag against Charlotte, let that one go, and Holiday missed two free throws to make it a two-possession game. Charlotte were down the other end, got a two. Overtime, we lost. Grizzlies were missing half their roster through injury or suspension, and that went down to the wire. It took a pausing as block to win it. Toronto, they really challenged us, and that's not really a team that should be in the same sort of bracket as the Celtics claim to be. And, you know, they keep letting go of double-digit leads. I mean, we're in the era of the NBA where unless it's 20 points in the last quarter, no lead is really safe, as we saw last night at the Knicks and Heat game. But when you really – it's the same team that keeps doing this. You know, being at the Milwaukee Bucks game when we were up by 20 for most of the time, when the lead got down to three with that a minute left, 
not one Celtics fan I was near was even slightly surprised. It was just second nature. I will admit it was nice. It was nice being around other people who were also panicking instead of just being home alone watching it on the couch. But it's it's not good that that's normal. And you know now Pozingas is is injured and he's out for tomorrow's game uh, against Atlanta. And we'll see oh, how long he he's that? out for. Yeah, no, he had a, he had a left uh, calf strain against Orlando, and so now he's out. He posted on his Instagram story today saying he'll be back very soon, so it could just be a one-game thing. I'm hoping as I'm back in Boston next week to see another game, but we'll see how much the lack of depth comes into play now. But um, all I'll say is from the from being at the Philly game and being at the Milwaukee game, let's let's just give Al Horford a lifetime contract. <laughs> he, he can play. He can play. He can be like Haslam. He can play until he's sixty. Just as long as Embiid and Giannis are in the league, they like only play him against those two guys. But he just has their number, especially Embiid. You know, and just just I'll keep touch him on fresh it. to the seven game series in the playoffs. Yeah. Oh, literally. <laughs> like I'll touch on it in my performance of the week a little bit later. I won't spoil it too much. But um, what Al Horford does against Embiid is just insane. I've never seen anyone have that kind of effect on one player to the point where Embiid goes from dominating other teams to literally. I think he had twenty something points against us, and it was on the second night of the back to back. But still. Embiid went to the post and just looks completely just shaken. And it wasn't even like Horford was doing much. But, again, it just happens. But, yeah, so that's that's basically been the, the Celtics week so far. And, surprisingly, I, I you know, haven't seen them lose in person yet. And I've, I think I've been to six or seven regular season Celtics games in my life and never seen them lose in, in person yet. But, you know, I would trade all those wins for the two finals losses I did see in person. So it really doesn't matter <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> Um, Yuri, uh, I was really glad to see you put the New Orleans Pelicans down in our run sheet because that's a team I haven't been paying uh, too much attention to as I try and get a holistic bird's eye view over the league. Talk to us about the Pels and how their last week or so shaken out. Yeah, it's been a much better week, Alex. I think they've been able to steady the tide after what was a pretty yeah uneven start. Right, well, they started out really well Very uneven to start, the yeah. season, four and one. Then they lost their next five to be four and six, and then this vital six-game homestand, which they finished four and two, including a pair of impressive wins over the Sacramento Kings. One was a thirty-six point annihilation, one twenty-nine ninety-three in the first game of the back-to-back, and it was. They also held the Kings to just sixteen third-quarter points, which. Also, is a season low in terms of points in a quarter for the Kings. So, a tremendous defensive effort there from the Pels and the last meeting as well between the two teams. And that defensive play on basically the final possession on De'Aaron Fox, I think might have been Herb Jones that was guarding him at that point or Brandon Ingram. And what they're able to do, right, to completely shut him off. And he had a wide open three at one stage there, De'Aaron, and decided not to take it, drove instead. And they lost about seven to eight seconds of the shot clock essentially winding down and they basically had to force up and take a rush shot. And that's the real, I think, growth as well with the Pels is that they've got guys that can athletically defend all positions, but again, it's doing it on a regular basis for them. And we saw yesterday against the Clippers as well in that final quarter, the game was extremely close and they came up with a bunch of numerous stops and were able to get a much-needed win because at the moment they're playing the Jazz. They play Utah again in a couple of days' time. So if they're able to really stick to their identity in a way, and that's something Willie Green has really been constantly talking about every single time when they step onto the floor, then good results will happen. And, of course, having Zion and Brandon together, they combined for 62 points yesterday. Zion scoring a career-high 32 points. I think the whole sort of – oh, and also Jordan Hawkins is another one too, the 14th overall pick 
pick that we spoke about a couple of episodes ago. And he was also tremendous today against the Jazz. He had 20 first-half points where both teams really struggled oh, to shoot the ball from the field as well. And he really provides that spark in the way too, the real offensive punch, especially with no CJ McCollum, who's still out indefinitely with that collapsed, collapsed lung. It's going to be really important for them to find that extra offensive dynamic and especially not relying too much on Ingram and Williamson to carry the load. And Jonas Valanciunas is another one too that really doesn't get off like regularly mentioned as well within the starting five and what he provides as well as that real interior force down low as well. But he can also stretch opposition defences and shoot threes. And it's something he did probably in the latter end of his Toronto Raptors career, which really helped Toronto in terms of their offensive spacing at the time. But it's a good result. It's just tied all together with the Pels, what they're able to do at home as well and just conjure those wins as well, and especially the game against the Nuggets last Saturday too. That was a really tremendous win after what happened. I think it was the week before that too when they coughed up a 20-point halftime lead and ultimately lost that game. So, it's again, it's probably a bit hard to tell exactly where the Pels do sit, but their best can definitely match it with anyone in the Western Conference, that's for sure, Alex. And also one other thing too. Oh, when, go ahead, but we'll come back yeah, to what with, you just With said. Herb Jones, when, when Herb Jones isn't, starting or not starting should I say when Herb Jones isn't on the court they don't lose too much defensively with Najee Marshall there too because he's also another terrific on-ball defender and provides basically the same intangibles as Herb does. Um, You said they can mix it with anyone in the Western Conference they've just gone down five minutes ago against the Utah Jazz 105 to 100 um, gave up 14 I think it was a 13 point lead late in the third 14 extra points in the fourth quarter that's without Zion Um, still Trey Murphy the third out with injury as well. Um, so the things that interested me around the league this week, I wanted to talk about Chet Holmgren continuing to blossoming, but we bring him up all the time. So just as a season overview, he's averaging 17 points, eight rebounds, shooting 55 from the floor, 43 from distance, two and a half blocks per game. And my pick of him for our rookie of the year looks sweeter and sweeter every day. There was a really, really fun Minnesota Timberwolves versus Sacramento Kings game yesterday in the in-season tournament. Um, Many were down 22 at multiple points, but were never out of it. Um, if you're watching this and you want to see some really good NBA highlights after the show, look up the condensed 10-minute highlights of that game. Really fun, beautiful court um, in Minnesota. And then the the other kind of streaks that start to appear when we're five, six weeks into a season. This is probably too early to get a really good gauge of how good teams are, but I think it's a good time to see how the bad teams are going. Um we talked about Detroit last week. They've lost 13 in a row. Um, they don't look very good. I'm not really sure what they're doing with their rotations. The Spurs have now dropped 11 in a row, and they're my most disappointing team, which we'll talk about later in the show. Um, I can forgive them a little bit. They don't really need to win this year. They're kind of experimenting with lineups and just getting guys some minutes in unfamiliar positions. Uh, Coach Popovich is trying to play Jeremy Sohan instead of a three or a four at the point guard to give him some facilitation growth, kind of like Boris Dior used to play for the Spurs. And the Washington Wizards have lost nine in a row. Um, I didn't ask you guys to prepare for this, but Kyle Kuzma has been excellent for them. He's the only one who's been routinely very good. I think he could find himself on a contender later in the year. I think um, Washington have a brand new general manager who came from the Clippers, if I'm not mistaken, um, and the direction of that franchise since he stepped in the door is, okay, we're going to be bad. We're going to get some assets in return. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see Kyle Kuzma. Um, I can't off the top of my head recall what salary is on Yuri, but um, any idea where you might like to see Kuz? 
Yeah, well, he signed that four-year, $102 million That's extension. And yep. you're thinking, why did he sign that contract anyway where he could have at least just made jump ship? Yeah, money, of course, but just at least jump ship and play for a contender. Maybe what they're trying to do, right, the Wizards, is before the trade period like finishes is try and ship him off elsewhere. Do you think there's a real logic behind that? If I'm Coos, I opt in if somebody offers me $100 million. So um, that's a lot of T-shirts and sweaters he could buy for his pregame walk-ins. Um, I think it's a fair contract too. Like that's 25 per year. I'm not sure if it decreases over the lifetime of a contract, but that's D'Angelo Russell money. And he's been – D'Angelo Russell's surprisingly good for the Lakers. He's been a, a couple of duds, but surprisingly good. But Cole Kuzma's been excellent. I don't know. I'm not sure if that's a – of Philadelphia 76ers get just another tall, lengthy guy that can shoot the three. Uh, I don't know if you've got any thoughts, Tom, uh, but I'll throw to you and then we can talk about the in-season tournament in the Indiana Pacers. Yeah, I, I, I having watched the Cavs-Lakers game about an hour and a half ago, I, I think he could actually be all right on either of those teams. I mean, Cleveland need that extra scorer. I think I mean, they do. Yeah, Garland and Mitchell just can't carry the load. And look, Mobley and Allen have actually connected pretty well, and they showed during the broadcast the impact that they've been having against you know Jokic and Embiid um, as of late. But uh, you know Kuzma, he has been playing the power forward, but he can play the small forward. You know Mitchell, Garland, Kuzma, um, Mobley, Allen, like that's better than what they've got at the moment with Levert. But what assets they really have to give up after giving everything away for Mitchell, I'm not sure. And then same with the Lakers, they'd have to give up their, what, 20, 29 pick or whatever the hell they're up to now. So we'll see. But having been in a Wizards game last week, uh, that team is not NBA standard. And Jordan Poole, how that man won a championship against my team, I'll never understand. <laughs> I'm just looking at the standings in the West and the East at some teams that might want to... Um... Upskill might be the polite way to put it. In the West, I think the Timberwolves are probably fine. I think the Thunder are probably fine. The Mavericks interest me because they're a um, a temper tantrum away from falling down the Yuri. Go ahead. Yeah, I think you're absolutely spot on. Alex. I was just thinking about that right then. The Dallas Mavericks are definitely a well, well worthwhile consideration too. But Derek Jones Jr. has been a surprisingly great piece as well. And so I think- high. Yeah, everyone's so high on the way down with his slam dunks, especially one against the Raptors. I think back in 2018-19 season too, which he basically jumped, what, all the way to the roof of the American Airlines arena. But he's really taking that initiative on taking more threes as well, not hesitating on those wing triples. And it's been a real surprise as well. And I think that's where a lot of players over recent seasons have had to take that next step and not solely rely on one strong suit to their game and really expand. And he's done exceptionally well this season too. And I think with Kuz as well, and especially the way the Mavs have been playing this season in terms of their pace, Alex, I think they're, if not first for pace or second, something like that, they really want to push the ball up-tempo and something that like Coach Jason Kidd has really been sort of harping on quite a fair bit in regards to that. And also shoot a bunch of threes as well. I think they're second for three-point attempts just behind the Celtics. So it really... With Kuzma's game and everything, I think it, it would fit perfectly with what the Mavericks have already been doing. All right, uh, Tom, do you want to talk about the Pacers specifically or the in-season tournament as a general? Because I've got a recap ready to go, but if you want to just lay into how good Tyrese Halliburton's been on the Pacers, I am all ears. That guy is so much fun to watch. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly where I was going with it because, you know, I, I kind of just use the in-season tournament as a, as a bit of a stepping stone to get to Halliburton. But... um. 
look, I mean, the Pacers did clinch the quarterfinal spot. Um, and, you know, their group was actually kind of tough. I mean, Cavs, 76ers, Hawks, three teams made the playoffs last year and then the Pistons. Uh, but, look, what I really want to put the question to you guys is Halliburton, is, is he in the MVP conversation? Is he firmly in the MVP oh, conversation? Oh, and oh, oh, oh. I'll, I'll let, me, let, me, let me make you let me make my case for you and, and, and see where you guys land on it. But, look, he's averaging 25.4 points per game, 12.1 assists point per game, which is insane. Only 3.9 rebounds per game, but he's a guard. He's in the 50-40-90 club right now. That's just insane considering he's the number one option on the team. He's got 170 to 35 assist-to-turnover ratio. Crazy. And, look, we gave Jokic the MVP in 2022. And, look, he he had better numbers and better stats that year, but he was a seven seed. And, you know, when you look at Halliburton's teammates, he's kind of in a similar situation to what Jokic was in. I mean, Buddy Heald, Miles Turner, Bruce Brown, Matherin, Obi Toppin, Nemhard, Aaron Naismith. Like, none of those guys are even going to get close to making an all-star team. They're not... No one's going to the paces and, and asking about any of them except for maybe Bruce Brown, who obviously can't be traded. But he's not exactly an all-star player. He's just a really solid rotation player who can help on a championship team, as we just saw. But, uh, you know, when uh, Halliburton didn't play against the Celtics, the Celtics beat them by 51 points. And yet the paces are a sixth seed right now. They're looking like a genuine playoff threat. I mean, they've beat, beaten Philadelphia and Philadelphia. They've beaten the Cavs. And if you need convincing that he's in the MVP race, go and watch the third quarter from their game against the Hawks last week. Pacers scored 46 points, and only six of those 46 points did not come from a Halliburton bucket or a Halliburton assist. That is absurd. Like, they were down by, I think, 20 points against the Hawks, and like with Blink of an Eye, Halliburton had them back in front. And, you know... I used to think that the Halliburton Sabonis trade was one of the biggest win-win trades in NBA history, but now, as good as Fox and as good as the Kings have been and Sabonis has been, I'm questioning if they got rid of the wrong guy because I think they may have because Halliburton is legit. And at the moment, I've got him as my starting guard in the All-Star team and probably first team All-NBA, to be honest, at the moment. Early days, but still. Is he too good for most improved? So I had this conversation prior to the season. He was listed at $62 odds for most improved. And some of the pushback I got was he's already an all-star. He, you know, first year all-star last year. He's that good. I just had a quick check while you're talking. He's down to $30 odds for most improved. And I've got his stats up from last season to this season. So he's improved his um, point scoring per game from 20 to 25 and a half. He fouls less. He has upgraded his blocks uh, slightly less steals. Gone from 10 assists a game to 12.1, uh, upgraded his rebounds fractionally. The biggest thing, his shooting has improved across the board. He's gone from 49 to 51% from the floor. But he's moved his three-point shooting, which, again, it's limited sample size, 14 games, from 40% from deep last year to 45% on almost nine attempts a game. Like, he has increased his attempts and he's increased his make significantly. And that makes him so much more of a threat because you can't double him for the pass on the inside, easy layup, and you can't leave him out anymore like you used to be able to do. Um, some teams would kind of stunt on him and leave him last year. He's shooting 45% from the season. Is it? Is he too good for most improved? I, or for I, some I, consideration? I think, yeah, look, I think the, the, the issue with the most improved award is that it normally goes to someone who's, you know, bottom level kind of player who then takes the leap to all-star or a higher talent, whereas Halliburton, as you said, all-star last season, he was... Still very good last season. And having watched Maxi twice live and quite a bit on league pass the last couple of weeks, 
that guy's just taken a leap from solid guard, like definitely not an all-star guard, to now like he's also in the conversation for starter in the East and he's got the green light from the hatch mark taking threes and he's taking step back threes and he's just, honestly, he's, he's a better version than what we've seen from James Harden the last three years and he's the reason why the Sixers have done so well, not just in bead. And so I, I think that's the kind of guy they're going to look for for most improved. But look, if Halliburton gets that points up to maybe 27, 28 and keeps the assists the same and stays in the 50, 40, 90 club, that, that's still just a massive leap as well. So I, I wouldn't write him out, but I'm also not putting him as the favorite just yet. Yuri, I'll throw to you in a second. The top six currently for most improved. Tyrese Maxey at $2 odds. Scotty Barnes at $6. Alperen Sengun at 7 who I love watching play. Cam Thomas, Cade Cunningham. And then Tyrese Halliburton is sixth at 31 So, you know, Maxey, obviously, the short odds. But, um, yeah, what did you want to touch on there, Yuri, about Tyrese Maxey or the Indiana Pacers? Uh, excuse me. Yeah. Tyrese Halliburton. <laughs> Too many Tyrese's. Yeah, there certainly are. Alex. I think just the whole offensive system that Indiana have been running right, and Rick Carlisle's been well known for really trying to push tempo, especially we talked about too when he first goes NBA coach opportunity all those years ago, back in 2001, 2002 with the Pistons, and he really wanted to push tempo, and it paid off, right? They made the Eastern Conference semifinals that year, and I can't see why not he can do it again. They've still got to clean up a lot defensively too. I think they're bottom for like offensive rating, which is yeah pretty abysmal at this point. But yeah, with Tyrese Halliburton's whole numbers now too, they're basically it's just yeah phenomenal to really sort of put into context. Right when he with the most, I'd say one of the most unorthodox shooting actions. You could probably probably disagree if you want, but it's just super efficient as well, and he really turns the ball over too. And that's where, when you look at all point guards in the league, I think Tyus Jones has like the best, like I think, assist to turnover ratio or something like that too, or less turnovers. I think he's only averaging like 0. 0.7 or 0. 0.8 turnovers a game, which is, yeah, truly remarkable. But he's been doing that for whatever, how many years since he's been in the league for. But I think the whole sort of, yeah, facilitating with Tyrese as well, that's just second to none. And the whole court vision as well to able to, Supplies teammates such clean looks is just, it's really just probably not even close at this stage, too. Well, apart from Steph Curry, Chris Paul, we can name a list of others as well, point guards that really do a tremendous job facilitating. But to average, again, 12.1 assists. I think like Rajan Rondo in 2015 16 averaged like 11.8 or something, which is, and everyone knows, and Tom, you know very well too about Rondo's facilitating. That was just, he was a completely absurd wizard with ball in hand. But now where it comes down to probably most improved player, and you're touching upon it too, Alex, as well, which Halliburton made the all-star team. When you look at like Jimmy Butler, I think in 2013-14 compared to 14-15, which he did win most improved, I think his points per game was about 13.4 something, and he ended up averaging about 20, I'm pretty sure, in his most yeah, improved year. Right. And even Tracy McGrady in 99-2000, his final season in Toronto, he averaged about, I think, 15 or something like that, 14. And when he got to Orlando, I think he averaged that first season 26.5 points per game. So that's where I think that really comes into play in terms of most improved players. He sees a significant incremental increase with points per game. That's what normally determines most improved player to just, some degree. Just to counter last year, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, uh, oh, he wasn't uh, in, When was he most improved? I, that was Larry Markin. What am I even doing? <laughs> 
it's too hot up in North Queensland in the middle of summer. My brain started to malfunction. I'm completely looking at the wrong player. All right, quickly, let's move on to the in-season tournament. Um, so this is the information you need to know for the brand-new inaugural in-season tournament. Uh, there is six groups of teams who play this, you know, little round-robin style one team from each group progresses to the quarterfinal, along with a wild card from each conference. We won't know the wild cards until even next week. Uh, we should probably have a good insight on those wild cards. A handful of these groups have already been decided. So we've got three groups in the Eastern Conference and then three groups in the Western Conference, and this is the current standings as of today. Uh, the Pacers have one through in Group A, and they'll be in the quarterfinals. In Group B, um, this Wednesday will be Milwaukee versus Miami, and the winner will likely take... Um, place uh, the winning spot in Group B. The Knicks can sneak in if they have a massive win against Charlotte, um, only if Milwaukee loses. So it's likely to be either Milwaukee or Miami. Uh, in Group C, Boston or Brooklyn will need big wins over the Bulls and the Raptors uh, to beat out the Magic. The Magic are 4-0 uh, currently in group play. Um, they don't play anymore. So Boston needs a massive win over the Bulls to take that one. In the Western Conference, the Lakers clinched Group A uh, either yesterday or the day before. Uh, Houston need a really big victory over Dallas to get past the Pelicans on group differential in Group B, so the Pelicans, the man to beat. And in Group C, the Kings, the Wolves, and the Warriors, all three really good teams. Maybe the Warriors aren't a really good team, but the Kings, the Wolves, the Warriors, all still in with a shot for Group C. Um, anything you want to touch on briefly with the in-season tournament? The more I watch, the more I'm in love with these courts. We were talking before we started recording about the Knicks' bright orange court yesterday in the garden that somehow is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, even though the ball is the same color as the court and you lose it on a broadcast. Um, anything on the in-season tournament, guys, before we move on to our segment on the biggest disappointments so far in the NBA? What about the Timberwolves jerseys, Alex? They're pretty darn nice, them. aren't they? I love them. They're, They're so the, uh, good. The blue and white gradient, so it fades from yeah. one end to the other. I love them. They're, those are mint, and especially in Knicks ones that they brought back from the late 90s as their in-season uniform. That one's pretty epic too. I think... Yeah, we've already touched upon too with the whole in-season tournament and and during this lull, especially from mid to late November, early December, where I think a lot of teams sort of go through the motions as well until sort of February or March hits when all of a sudden they need to put the clutch into like second or third or fourth gear to really make a run at it. But it drives more, again, incentive into the league and sort of really sort of delivers something in terms of just extra motivation and if the players need it or not, well, that's the real sort of sole factor to look at, right, so far in this inaugural in-season tournament. And I think, yeah, I think we'll sort of, I know personally was pretty sceptical of it at first, but definitely drives a bit more into it for not only the players, but I think the fans as well. Tom? Yeah, I mean, having been to, I went to an in-season tournament game in Boston, went to another one in Washington. Being there about five minutes in, you can't just forget about it. It's just to, you know, just another game, really, because um, you're not really reminded of it besides the court. But that just kind of fades away. Um, it's for me personally. I'm still, you know, uh, as a Celtics fan, I am not upset that we lost. The Magic yesterday, and it cost us a, a certain spot in the in-season tournament. I'm upset because we lost the Magic yesterday, and Sixers and Bucks and all them caught up in us in the regular season standings, and that's why I'm upset. And so it's hard, and we'll see. Look, maybe in what a couple of weeks' time when they're all in Vegas, that's what it might build up. And look, I'm all for the NBA for trying. They could have just sat back and not tried anything different. They've tried, and it looked to a degree it's worked, although. 
a few players are complaining about the courts being a bit too slippery, so maybe sort that one out. Because Jalen Brown nearly uh, nearly tore his uh, groin against Toronto the other week, so let's sort that out first. Yuri, go ahead. Yeah, I think whole Adam Silver's sort of inspiration behind creating in-season tournament, of course, is from the soccer championships with like UEFA as well, and they have that in-season tournament and be able to have this extra level of competition within. I think that was a real sort of factor for why he decided to come up with the idea, and you can't really blame him for that too, right? Because I think even three years ago when, of course, during the bubble, when they decided to implement sort of the play-in in a way too, and that sort of grew legs in some sort, you could say, probably not until the second season around. And, again, trying to reduce teams that deliberately tank just to get number one or number two or number three draft pick. I think that's where it sort of is getting to now the in-season tournament is by sort of eliminating teams that reduce sort of with the whole sort of rotation policy in the way too and resting players. I think that has really cut it out. So even the superstars have to play in the in-season tournament. And I think that's another reasoning behind bringing that in. All right, moving on to our biggest disappointments so far in this fresh NBA season. I'll touch really briefly on mine, the San Antonio Spurs, currently 3-13 and on an 11-game losing streak. So they were 3-2 and at some point. Um, again, not a team that had high hopes to do much. Maybe if you thought Wembenyama was a game-changing power forward and he could open the floor up on offense, you might have. I did. Like, I took the over at the start of the season. Um, but they really don't have much incentive to be good this year, and, and you think about it critically, they probably should play some guys for a lot of minutes, figure out what parts they've got, develop Jeremy Sohan as a facilitator. That being said, uh, 28th in opponent points per game. They let in 122.8 points. They're the 28th in offensive rating, 25th in defensive rating, so their net rating is the worst in the league at 30th. Um, the most disappointing thing for me is watching Victor Wembanyama compared to Chet Holmgren, and maybe that's just because Chet's been so good but a lot of that is the shot selection of Wemby. He shoots 26% from three on a fair number of attempts. Uh, when I watch this team, I don't know what they're doing with their rotation. Um, Jeremy Sohan's really good, but I wish they wouldn't play him at point guard as much because, you know, Devin Vassell's really great. They've got, is it Trey Jones? I always forget which Jones it is. Um, the only positives for this team I can see is, one is Jeremy Sohan's really good, uh, and it's the second year in the league, and they should give him a, time, a bit of time to figure it out. Devin Vassell's a stud. He's still averaging 18 points per game, 40% from three, 50% from the floor. And they're third in the league in assists. They have 30, uh, excuse me, it's like 28 assists a game. So they, they do pass the rock a bit. I'm still a bit disappointed. I'm allowed to be disappointed. Uh, Tom, I have a feeling that your disappointment might be a player that was linked to the Celtics a long time ago, but isn't playing currently in the league. Is that right? Yes. I mean, firstly, just quickly on, on, on the Spurs, I mean, maybe Popovich should, should focus more on his rotations than uh, who the fans are doing. That might help uh, his job there because as someone who uh, kind of lost their voice uh, against the Bucks the other week in the TD Garden, I can tell you, booing is fun. It's fun. Uh, but no, my uh, disappointing, I kind of went in a different direction. Instead of a team, I'm going to go to a player, and, and that's Bradley Bill. I mean... In uh, case you haven't forgotten, he um, was traded from the Wizards to the Suns, and he's an NBA player who's about um, $50 million a year. I don't know if you remember him or not, because he's only played about three games this season. You know, in total, he scored 52 points, 11 assists, and 16 rebounds. I mean, he was supposed to be part of this super team with the Wizards, uh, with the Suns, and it was Durant, Beal, Booker, like, oh, my God, watch out. Like, this is up there before, you know, the Lillard trade and the Celtics trades and everything. This was what people were hyped for this season. 
and he can't get on the floor. He's just constantly injured. And now I'm questioning whether the Wizards actually making his injury up or is he just a really injury-prone player because he hasn't been healthy in four, three, four years. And what also I find concerning is the Suns are kind of rolling at the moment without him. I mean, they are. Back yeah. and, six in a row. Yeah. Six in a row. I mean, Book is back to all NBA form. Uh, three of those six wins have been by double digits. And yes, they had an average win against the Jazz in um, overtime the other night. But that you know, Duran and Booker are making the case to be the best duo in the NBA right now. And I'm starting to think, is Bill coming back going to hurt them? Because he's not a great defender. He's going to take the ball out of Booker and Durant's hands. He's going to take more shots. In, you know, is he really going to accept a third star role? Who knows? But. I just, it's disappointing. And, you know, I, I'm seeing the Suns and, and Denver in a week's time, and I, I doubt he's even going to be on the floor then. And that's just a shame. It's this early in the season and hardly seen him. So, yeah, disappointed is the one word to, to describe his season so far. Yuri, jump in on the Suns if you want to. A couple of things to briefly mention. There was some reporting this week that uh, Brad Beal's injury was an, a fresh one sustained in training camp. So he played through a couple games of it, back injury. But he's actually had nerve irritation. And I think they said loss of strength in his legs, which can be a scary symptom. It could just be, you know, regular nerve irritation pressing up. You know, it's been 15 years since I went to, to school for anatomy, but uh, potentially not a great injury to have. But they need someone to play more minutes because Kevin Durant's 35, two serious leg injuries in the last handful of years, playing 37 minutes a game. We'll talk about him more in Alex's secret segment, but they need people to play. You can't have Kevin Durant playing 37 minutes a game in month one of the NBA season when you need him fresh in month eight and nine. Um, Yuri, any thoughts on the Suns before you move on to your biggest disappointment of the season? Yeah, first with Brad Bill's back injury too, Alex, and we talked about with Dwight Howard. Remember when he underwent that back surgery in April 2012 in California with Dr. Watkins, who's arguably the How best back doctor, doctor in the world? Out? I know, I know yeah, we call Dr. you the Watkins. basketball encyclopedia. For those that don't listen every week, Yuri is the mini basketball encyclopedia. How can you pull a surgeon out from 12 years so ago? It's in the Dwight Howard documentary, Alex. So okay. Dr. Watkins was the one who performed the surgery on him, and he's by far the best back doctor in the world. And we... We spoke at length with Dwight's recovery. So he had that done in April and it was basically four months and he was back on the court rehabbing, which is a true testament for not only just the sheer amount of work that he put in, right, and really hope that's not the same ideal situation from all those reports that have come out with Bradley Bill feelings in terms of pain in his leg because that's where it normally starts from. If you can't do a calf raise and now something Dwight couldn't do, then you ultimately have to go under the knife and undergo back surgery, which is the last thing that really he needs as well, Brad, because last season he only played 50 games. And if, I think if, there's only been two seasons where he's played a full 82 games and they were back-to-back seasons in 2017-18 and 2018-19. And 15-16, he only played, I think, 55 games and started 35 of those. And can't remember exactly what the injury was, but he just hasn't been able to get sort of a full season or even more like consecutive seasons of continuity of playing 70 plus games, which is, it, it's hard to sort of comprehend in that regard too. But I think the other thing as well, you touched upon too, Alex, with Kevin Durant's minutes. It was about 36.3 minutes per game at one stage. And they've, of course, had to play Grayson Allen starting, Eric Gordon when Devin Booker was out for a handful of games through injury. They've started I think Keita Bates jump as well in Durant's place when they smashed up the Grizzlies yesterday, 110-1089, and Durant still is questionable for tomorrow's game against the New York Knicks at MSG. So 
they've sort of had to really juggle their starting lineup, the Suns, but they've done it extremely well too because Eric Gordon's really lit up in a few games. The game against, I think, the Lakers in Phoenix's second game this season. Grayson Allen's really provided production as well and really given them somewhat of a lift defensively. He's actually not that bad a defender than what most people really think in a way. So they've sort of been able to fill the void in a fair way too when Booker's been out when, of course, Durant this game and depending on what happens tomorrow. But also, I think Josh Okogie has been a tremendous piece since last season as well for the Suns too. And I think not many opposition teams pay him that much attention offensively too. And he was able to light up a few teams at certain stages during last season. So they should be all right as they is, considering they've won six games in a row. They sit 10 and six now after that wobbly four and six start. And it's just about trying to sort of gel the pieces up all together for them. But they've got it clicking nicely as we speak right now. All right, let's move on to performance of the week. We're 45 minutes in. Tom's eyes are starting to get droopy as it goes past midnight in New York City. Uh, Tom, your performance of the week in week five of the NBA was? Yes, well, I mentioned earlier about how good of a job Al Horford does on Joel Embiid, and um, if you need any proof of that, I saw it when I went and saw the 76ers take on the Nets in Brooklyn because he had 32 points, 12 rebounds, 9 assists, 11 to 24 from the field, and he only played 31 minutes because he sat the whole entire fourth quarter, and he was still a plus 25 because this guy just dominated them. And it's not even like the Nets don't have a decent defensive big man. Nick Claxton was playing. He just, any time they needed a bucket, they'd go down to the post. And when the score got a little bit closer, the Nets even took the lead at one point, and B just got the ball, went down, scored without any issues, or got to the line. And, you know, I, I'm not the biggest Embiid fan, and until he starts doing this in the playoffs, I'm never going to be a huge Embiid fan. But when he can do this on a regular basis in the regular season, you just got to admire it. And that's why he's my performance of the week for this week. Yuri, your performance of the week might be Milwaukee's own. Brooke Lopez, yes. In season, well, a career equal high 39 points yesterday, Alex. And I think this is probably the two games in a row now. He had 28 points against Boston a couple of nights before that. But it's how they structure him in the offense, that's going to be the real key moving forward too because we saw last season right with Brook and throughout each of the months he was super consistent, right, including March, which he averaged 19.5 points per game. But it's all trying to incorporate him to more pick and rolls and also just trying to probably utilize him at various times down low. Yeah, size was he massive does most of his damage. Wizards, yeah. Oh, absolutely. In the dunker spot, there was that play there. Also, Chris had a brilliant assist as well to him during the first half too, which he laid in for no one basically five or six feet near him. And there was another play as well with Marshawn Bochamp, which they Lopez ran a handoff pick and roll, a dribble pick and roll. And then I think Daniel Gaff was thinking, well, he was hedging over one side. I think that Brook was probably just going to roll back to the top, maybe for a pick and pop three. But instead he sort of set a brush screen and then rolled to the rim for another easy layup. And it's those sort of players which I think they can really run because of course Giannis is going to dominate in the paint. That's a given. But having Brook there as an extra paint force, which everyone well knows during his Brooklyn Nets days, that he was one of the best young dominant forces down low along with DeMarcus Cousins. And to have that and just to because at this point, right, Alex, we're not going to know exactly when Chris Middleton will be averaging 30 or 31 minutes per game. He's still on a minutes restriction at this point. So you can't really lay all the eggs in one basket on Damian Lillard and Giannis to shoulder up again 75 to 70 points combined each and every given night. And this is where Brooke really comes in under the radar as that third piece 
of course, with Chris still managing his minutes as well. And that's the real integral part to it all. And even defensively, he hasn't lost a step. And that's a real big part too, especially when you're just swallowing up block shots like a vacuum cleaner. And again, he's just, yeah, he's just been tremendous. You can't say too much more about him. Really, really fun fourth quarter in that game. That's the Milwaukee-Washington 131-128 win to Milwaukee. Um, what I'm talking about when I say Kyle Kuzma is great, I mean, he hit a fast break three uh, to, I think it was either to tie it or cut the lead to a single possession game um, with like 15 seconds left, like just clutch stuff. That was the first Milwaukee games in the franchise's history where they had three players score 30 points or more as well. So great game for the Bucks in the end, even though it was the Wizards. Yuri, 10 seconds before you yeah. move on. You might have thought that maybe like a Sam Cassell, Glenn Robinson, or even Ray Allen might have combined yeah. for 30 points each in one game, especially just that, once. Oh, two, yeah, 2000, 2001 season where I think, yeah, that, they're arguably the best jump shot, jump shot shooting team in the league, shall my, I say as well. My performance of the week, I, I was just going to say, I don't know why I keep watching the Charlotte Hornets, but I've been watching a lot of LaMelo ball play recently. Uh, 34 points, eight rebounds, 13 assists against the Wizards. Uh, ball averages 33.5 points over his last five games. Charlotte have, in their three of their last four wins, have won by three points or less. So a lot of these games have been really close and really riveting. Um, Yuri, have you been watching LaMelo play, have you? <laughs> yeah, fair bits and pieces with the Hornets, especially the Bucks game last Friday. Is it Eric Collins' commentary yeah, that he's you're great. really so in awe about? Yeah, best, best commentary <laughs> in the league. But um, LaMelo was getting almost justified. I say almost justified MVP chance. He... Um, has periods where he just steps up and takes over these games. Again, it was against the Wizards. Charlotte aren't great, but some of those games have been really fun. A couple other performances we have to touch on very briefly before we move on to Alex's secret segment and get out of here because Tom is falling asleep. Jokic had 30 points, 13 rebounds, 12 assists, three blocks, two steals in that loss against Orlando. SGA had 40 points and 12 assists while he was being double teamed most of the game against Chicago. Um, moving past, I think it was Nick Collison in that game. So he's now third all-time in scoring for OKC behind Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. Uh, KD himself had 32 against the Warriors, his old team. Um, I'm going to skip what I wrote just there because that'll come up in Alex's secret segment. A really good duel earlier in the week between Trey Young and Mikael Bridges, 43 points for Trey, 45 for Bridges in that Hawks-Nets duel, and Tyrese Halliburton we talked about. 37 points, 16 assists, three steals, shooting 9 of 15 from three against the Hawks as well. Yuri, one final thing to add before Alex's secret segment. Yeah, one final thing as well from the Golden State-Phoenix game, and not for the first time that we're going to see probably Chris Paul and Scott Foster. Yeah, Chris Paul being ejected in the first half, and when's this whole sort of not fiasco, but just blatant, obvious with some refs that just feel very oversensitive, just come to an end, right? You don't burn your NBA bridges just yet, Yuri. With no. words like that, you don't want to burn the NBA. No. All right, Alex's secret segment this week. Most teams have played sixteen, seventeen ish games in the league, and to you, um, I have a list of the top three-point shooters through 15, 16 games in front of me. It's a who's who of nobodies. There is some – it's this tough one. I'll be very surprised if you get two out of the top five. Um, so there's 19 players so far that average shooting more than 45% from three, um, which is quite incredible. Small shooting size. A lot of them um, you'd be very, very surprised at, and there are a lot of them on quite high attempts. So, Tom – Top five in three-point percentage from the league. I'll give you the first, um, and we'll see if you can maybe get – I think the first might be easy. It's been mentioned a few times in the NBA media this week, but go ahead, have a crack. 
Oh, honestly, I I couldn't I couldn't even tell you. For me, honestly, thirty-five I mean, years old. I'll give you some hints quickly. Thirty-five years old. Oh, Durant, I think's up there, isn't he? Yeah. So Durant, fifty-two point two percent from three on four and a half attempts per game at his age is incredible. He leads the league, which is crazy. Yuri, anyone else in the top five you think you might be able to pull? That shoots over forty percent from deep. Uh, all of these guys in the top five shoot over forty-eight percent from deep. Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks is not in the top five. He's thirteenth or so at forty-six point four percent. He shoots a lot of them, uh, just going across five and a half a game too. So decent clip. Because I think it was about fifty-three point three. I'll give you a I really good. Go. I'll give you a really good hint. Two of them play yep. for Milwaukee. Oh. Okay. Be- Beasley. Bobby Portis. I, I couldn't hear either of you then. Bobby Portis. No, no Bobby Portis. Be- Beasley's oh. one of them, isn't he? Uh, Beasley oh. is above forty-five percent. I think he's fourteenth, uh, but he only takes four a game, so he's not all the way up there. Cameron Payne. Yeah, Cameron Payne at forty-eight point eight. On uh, <laughs> he only takes two point seven, so less than everybody else on this list. But Cameron Payne is fourth. Um, do you want me to give you the other yeah. one who is in second possession league-wide? Uh, would it be... 51.6% oh. on three and a half attempts per game. So three and a half is not that Mar- much. Marjon Bochamp? No, it's Jay Crowder. Oh, that's right. And you will, He's out for the next two months, yeah, though. You will never get who's third, so I'll give it to you. It's Doug McDermott who's on the Spurs. He's putting up three and a half, shooting 49%. Fifth might be achievable. So to recap, uh, KD at number one at 52%, Jay Crowder at 51%, Doug McDermott, Dougie McBuckets, 49%, <laughs> Cameron Payne, 48.8% at fourth, and then fifth is somebody who is currently on the Philadelphia 76ers. Tobias Harris? No, sir. Oh. Is it? No, it's not the Springer guy, is it? It's not Springer. It's Nico. Don't call me Nicholas Batum. Oh, <laughs> 48.6% across both uh, stints he's had with two teams this season. Uh, just quickly, to round out the top 10, Isaiah Joe in sixth, who I don't think we've talked about that much. He's averaging 60% from three over the last 11 games. So really high shooting clip. He's uh, 48 from season. Alex Caruso is shooting 48%. Grayson Allen's shooting 47.5%. And uh, shout out Jalen Brunson running out the top 10 at 47% on a fair few attempts. I think it's uh, 6.5% attempts. That Jeez, is. I think Jalen. Go oh, ahead. Sorry, Alex. I think Jalen Brunson's three point attempts better than his field goal percentage. Yeah. So the three, actually, for the Knicks, they've got uh, Brunson at 46% and RJ Barrett at 46% as well. So um, look, that's where a lot of that scoring is coming from in New York. That's it for another weekly recap of the NBA with myself, Tom, and Yuri. Tom, we'll let you go to sleep. Uh, are you still the international correspondent this time next week? I, I will be. I uh, hopefully will be on the show, but it will be after the uh, Denver Phoenix game. So uh, we'll see how quickly I can rush home from that. But uh, yeah, that, might be able that's to in Denver, that right? That is, I know in Phoenix. In Phoenix. In Phoenix. Okay, West Coast time. Uh, Yuri, you got anything coming out this week? Yeah, so got one article which should be coming out either tomorrow or Tuesday. So complete finished it off a couple of days ago. So was luckily enough to do an interview with Melbourne United assistant coach Jacob Chance on his basketball journey from assistant to Perth Wildcats 
well, first getting an internship with the Wildcats, then being promoted to assistant coach and then moving to the Tasmania Jack Jumpers along with Scott Roth, who's played a big part in his coaching career and now assistant United under coach Dean Vickerman, just talking about the experiences, his head coaching dreams someday in the future. He's only 30 years old and he's got one of the most astute and brilliant basketball minds for any young person in this country. And also the other one too, just currently working on as well, the Brook Lopez piece, which currently about four-fifths of the way through, which should be up a little bit later tonight as well. So those couple in progress and an NBL talking points piece as well for round eight before round nine kicks off on Thursday. Lovely. As always, gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us. If you're still here, considering leaving us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, I've been Alexander J. This has been great. We'll see you guys next week. 